0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This is the Pulse of St. Louis.
2: Welcome into the Pulse of St. Louis. I am Mike Colombo in for Shirley, Washington. We begin our broadcast today by examining Islamophobia in the St. Louis area and what's being done to stop anti-Muslim bigotry here. The panel that we have assembled to share this information with us this morning includes Faison Syed. He is the executive director of CARE Missouri. That is the Council on American Islamic Relations. Next to him is Saad Amir. He is the executive director for Muslims for a Better America. And to Mr. Amir's right, we have Donnell Malik Sims. He is the corrections liaison with CARE Missouri, as well as a lead organizer in the organization for Black Struggle. And finally, we say hello to Moji Siddiqui. She is a local Muslim woman and a fashion designer. We thank all of you for being here today.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Faison, we'll begin with you. I want you first to tell us about the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Missouri and what it's doing to fight Islamophobia here in the local area.
1: So the Council on American Islamic Relations is a chapter of the largest civil rights and advocacy organization for Muslims in America. We take on multiple cases of discrimination here in the St. Louis area and across the nation. And we also work to educate people of other faiths and backgrounds about the Muslim community. We give a voice to our community in government and we fight uh, anti-Muslim legislation that sometimes comes up. What's happened today is that historically Islamophobia used to be a, a, a moral problem that individuals would have that some people just didn't like Muslims and Islam, and of course there are bigots in all types of fields. What's happening now though, with this current administration is that we see the institutionalization of Islamophobia, the actual part of Islamophobia becoming into law, into practice in order to demonize our entire community on an institutional level. So our work has transformed. We now actively target the institutions that are funding Islamophobic organizations. We're actively targeting politicians who are the ones who are spreading hatred and demonizing our community in order for us to challenge it on an institutional level.
2: And Saad, there have been some national and local examples of Islamophobia recently. Explain how those negatives can be turned into positives in a way that can allow organizations such as yours to uh, not only uh, be in the public more, but so that those of us who may not understand just how widespread these issues are can have a greater understanding.
0: Yeah, I think uh, kind of like the silver lining in all of these recent attacks, like the one in New Zealand. Immediately afterwards, the largest mosque in the state of Missouri, the Islamic Foundation, came together and did an interfaith prayer service, which I think really provides that opportunity for creating those different uh, relationships. But I think a lot of the problem that comes from Islamophobia comes from a place of like the fear of the unknown, like some sort of ignorance of not really knowing who Muslims are other than the caricature that is presented of Muslims. Like the example from Taco Bell that just happened recently up in Maryland Heights. Um, And I think it's just not having that level of uh, familiarity with Muslims kind of causes you to be afraid of them and listen to that caricature. But the other side of that problem is our community has a tendency to self-isolate themselves. We kind of stay within our own bubbles and we don't really move out of our bubbles. And I think that's kind of the problem too. It's not just a non-Muslim's responsibility to come into the Muslim community and learn more about them. It's also the Muslim's responsibility to go out and actively present a opposing caricature or an opposing perception to what the caricature is presented of us. So when these bad things happen, there are times for us to get on the public and kind of fight against those. But I think the main thing is we we should not be reactive. We need to be more proactive, and that's kind of what our organization is created to do: is to 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 be take a more proactive approach to public relations and our perception within the local Muslim community.
2: And Mr. Sims, I'd like to hear from you about how Care Missouri and the Organization for Black Struggle are working together to bring the Cure Violence Initiative to St. Louis. For starters, just take us through what that initiative is and then how the partnership will work.
3: Okay, well, the Cure Violence Initiative, it approaches violence and murder from a health perspective, from an epidemiology uh, thought in that uh, it's approached as a disease model, uh, rather than the arrest and incarcerate model, which is failing us all across the board throughout the country. Uh, the way uh, Cure Violence is set up is that we have interrupters who actually uh, engage with the victims and the perpetrators of the crime as well. And we have doctors on board and we have a team which will be located in the hospital of social workers, et cetera how uh, the Muslim community is supporting this. Well, traditionally, uh, dating back into the Ottoman period, uh, the Muslim's uh, approach to violence in healthcare has been from from an epidemiologist's point of view. So uh, there's a verse in the Quran that states, uh, if you take one life, it is taking the life of all of mankind. If you save a life, it is as if you save the life of the entirety of mankind. So with that in mind, Muslims were always at the forefront of attempting to save lives. And when Faison and uh, Care uh, heard about the initiative, they uh, gladly came on board and said, we want to assist in this initiative. So that's where it springs from.
2: Excellent. And then Moji, certainly last but not least here, women's issues are a hot topic in america right now as a muslim american woman how does your perspective be it religious or cultural play a role in making sure that women of all races have a seat at the table
4: yeah absolutely so my job a responsibility i feel that is bestowed by my parents and my lord by me is using my education and my talents for example i'm really passionate about fitness i'm really passionate about my faith and i'm passionate about fashion so, uh, my job is to make sure that I create a niche for women who are active, who love to um, dress well, and are educated to have a platform and a voice. Because uh, Muslim women are seen as backwards, Muslim women are seen as educated, but that's not true. In fact, we are incredibly educated, and a fashion in itself, we are... Um, A billion-dollar market consumer as consumers so most of the time it's modest fashion and mainstream fashion exploits women sexually and uh, what my my job personally is to create clothes and designs that are beautiful but yet modest so that we can stay true to our faith stay true to our um, inner spirit but yet still feel beautiful still feel strong uh, educated determined focused as we are at home
2: does that provide you an opportunity also to maybe uh, challenge some misconceptions about women in the muslim faith
4: absolutely every single day it's my job to challenge the um media perception of the Muslim woman because the Muslim woman is beautiful. She's strong. She's independent. She's courageous. She's able to work. She's able to own land. uh, She's able to vote. She's able to have a say at home with her father, with her husband. And that's uh, my job, to speak on that perspective, yes.
2: And Mr. Sims, explain a little bit more how uh, the meshing of races has come together and how uh, you can take People from a completely different background, a completely different upbringing, and then introduce these two ways of life, these two religious abil- or religious faiths, as one in a way that can be beneficial for both.
3: Well, in that vein, the 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 supposition is that we, and when I say we, I mean us of different faiths, are seeking uh, God. So that's the common thread. Uh, the coming together, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that Islam and Christianity are the two most compatible religions on the face of the earth. So it's, it's natural that we come together uh, to seek a resolve uh, in all aspects of life, uh, personal, uh, business, uh, religion, etc. So coming together, again, it's, it's, it's a natural flow. So, you know, it's not a real hard thing to do.
2: That's good to hear because some who aren't aware or who may have no idea whatsoever may think that you're dealing with polar opposites here. But right. uh, with all of the different challenges that we face, uh, good to know that it's not such a wide swath between these two things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and then to you, Mr. Saad, again, I'll ask you to uh, really kind of hone in on what can be done to change the mindset in this community, a place that uh, can sometimes be notorious for people who are set in their ways.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's an understatement. Um, (laughs) uh, so, uh, So, one of the things that I think, like the overarching kind of philosophy that Muslims for a Better America, my organization has, is that the way to combat this negative perception is by going out into these public spheres that don't have a Muslim presence and create that Muslim presence. So one of the ways that we do it is by getting them more involved with their civic life. So we register more voters, we bring in candidates to mosques and Islamic centers, we host debates, we host forums, and we're actually starting a campaign academy to train Muslim candidates to run for office. So I think the idea here is that, like, one of the things that I've always heard is it shouldn't be weird, you shouldn't have to do a double take to walk into an office and see a young Muslim woman wearing hijab. That shouldn't be weird to you. The reason why it's weird to you is because not enough Muslim women are in those offices, in those jobs. So I think the idea is, once you gain that level of exposure, then people become more familiar with it. And if they're familiar with it, then why be afraid of it?
2: And Faison, a final thought to you with about 30 seconds left.
1: Uh, just very quickly, so part of what we're trying to do in order to combat Islamophobia is not only to target the individuals who don't know a Muslim or uh, their neighbors, but also to target from an institutional level, as I mentioned earlier. So CARE, we just released a report that documented $1.5 billion from mainstream philanthropic organizations that are being used to fund the Islamophobia industry. That We have to target this issue not only from an individual, level but also from the institutional level. And by doing so, we'll be able to overcome it.
2: All right. Thank you all for being here. This is an incredibly important topic that I hope we can discuss more here on The Pulse of St. Louis. Thanks for
1: having us. Thank you so much for
2: having us. Coming up on The Pulse, we'll learn more about the continued initiatives in St. Louis to combat violence in our neighborhoods. We'll be right back.
5: To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for
2: The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. I am Mike Colombo in for Shirley Washington this week. Our next segment today focuses on the continued effort to combat gun violence in St. Louis. Let's welcome our panel, starting with Mr. James Clark. He is the Vice President of Community Outreach with Better Family Life. Also joining us this morning, to James' right, is Nate Dixon. He is the General Manager of Radio 1 St. Louis. And to his right, Shante Bass. She has lost five family members to gun violence. And to her right, Pastor Theodore Williams of Faith Church. We thank you all for being here james i'll start with you and i'm going to ask you to go through and talk about each one of these people here why they're important to the larger goal well
5: when you talk about the st louis metropolitan area um, nate uh, is a product of of st louis and his position as general manager of the largest radio station in the st louis metropolitan area gives him a platform and gives his on their personalities, a voice to speak to uh, the biggest challenge facing St. Louis. Nate understands the importance. It's not about having a position with Nate. It's about what you do with it. Uh, Shante um, is is a mother. Uh, She's a leader. Um, She has lost loved ones to gun violence. So, So she understands very personally the tragedy and the heartache that it brings families. Uh, I was so drawn by Shante's personality and her innate ability to connect with people that we hired her. And so now she is a um, outreach specialist with Better Family Life. Uh, Pastor Williams um, is, a, is a leader uh, in the St. Louis metropolitan area. Um, his church is located uh, at the intersection of Natural Bridge and Shreve. Uh, We are working with neighborhood churches to elevate their role in neighborhoods. And uh, Pastor Williams is one of the leading pastors in that effort.
2: Nate, James touched on the platform that your radio stations provide. How do you use that platform? It can touch such a wide swath of society. How do you use that to be part of the solution with this problem that we're facing?
6: Yeah, well, first of all, let me start, Mike, by letting you know, we've got an obligation we're committed to this community. It's in our mission statement. We reach roughly over 650,000 listeners each week. And to answer your question directly, uh, you know, we do PSAs, we do interviews, we do on commercials. <coughs> and uh, with this effort, uh, you know, I was talking to James earlier about this, we consider this one of our tentpole pole events, meaning it's not always revenue generated, it's about what we're doing for the community. And so uh, this is one of those ones where we put all the chips in and we do everything we can as a radio station to try to move the needle.
2: And the event that you're referencing there, we'll talk more about here in a moment, but just to give you a precursor, it's coming up June 6th from 6 to 8 PM, hosting a neighborhood block meeting. This is at Better Family Life's Cultural Center at 5415 Page. It is sponsored by 104.1 FM and 95.5 R&B and Old School for the Lou to RSVP for that. You can call 314-381-8200. More about that event in a minute. Important to touch on it though, while we had it fresh on our minds. Shante, to lose one family member to gun violence would be enough to crumble, most people, myself included. Uh, you've had to deal with it five times. Yes. How do you, A, stay strong, B, use your strength to impact this community to not only show support for those who are like you and have lost family members to, love, or to gun violence, but also to foster some change here. Learn from these examples and remember these people and, and make sure that their lives were not lost for nothing.
7: Well, first of all, first off, um, when you lose one, It can be tragic, but when you it constantly keeps happening over a time period, it and it and it's different times or different people, it's like what can I do to help our community change? What what's happening? How can I be a part? What do I need to initiate? Because I know what it feels like to sit in that seat and it's me. And you want answers and you want people to help you. But what we have to stop doing is stop being quiet and silencing and and putting on the blinders or our sunglasses when it's us or when it's anybody. You've seen it, you understood it, you don't know if you're the next person that it's gonna happen to, what can I do? And until we stop that as a, a community, it's never gonna change. This is gonna happen every day and you just don't know when it's going to be your turn. So we, for me, to have the opportunity to be able to go out into the community and talk to people about, hey, guys, I'm talking to you because I've been you. So it's different from a person that's talking to him that has not experienced it. I, I've been you. I understand how it feels. So I understand the hurt. Um, so when you can use a true story, it's easy to touch people. I ain't gotta go look at nobody else's backyard, nobody else's closet, I can just go in my own closet and share the information and it share. Cause each time you felt different about each person, but the hurt was the same. So uh, this is important to me and I, I will do this until I leave here. And I'm happy to have met James to be able to do this because I, I, I've always known that I needed to do something in the community. But to be able to go out and say, hey, y'all, let's stop. This needs to stop. Because if it don't, what's going to happen to the next generation of children? And now we're losing children and women, and there's no rules to this. So, you know, we have to come together as a community. We have to use whatever vessels or tools that we have to make this work. And the church is is the answer. But... um,
2: let me, let me stop you there and thank you for that continued work. But you, you brought in a perfect segue to Pastor here. And Pastor, uh, your challenge is <coughs> fivefold, tenfold, bringing people back to the church, mm-hmm. some of whom by their actions have turned away from the Lord and some of those who feel maybe they can't be forgiven for what they've done or what they've seen happen. How do you take that challenge and work with people who are maybe experiencing those feelings?
8: Well, one of the reasons that I'm so grateful uh, to what Better Family Life has been doing is because they gave us an opportunity through the Grill for Glory to to allow people to come to the church and learn more about what's going on in the church. We were amazed that there were people in our own neighborhood, in fact, it wasn't too long ago, a couple of young women walked by and I was just standing outside the church and one of them put her hand on the building. And she said, I think this is a church. We, we've been there 20 some odd years. And she said, I've never seen this building before. And so I, I had to ask when she came back, because they came back by, uh, how, how could you not seen this building? She said, well, I just wasn't paying any attention, but I saw you guys out here last Saturday. Uh, and I came by and I got a hot dog, you know. Uh, uh, it, is, it is amazing that it, it energizes not only the neighborhood, but the church. Uh, when we first started the first week, we may have had six uh, church members that were out there. Uh, last Saturday, I, I couldn't even count them. All of our youth were out there. It, it, it excites everyone. And uh, we were blessed uh, this past Saturday because one young lady that came she showed up Sunday, and she became a part of the church. And she's going to be out with the grill Saturday. So it's 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 exciting to see, and and I would I would uh, ask any pastor in St. Louis if you are not doing it, you need to do it because it's a blessing to the neighborhood, to the church, and to the people that are coming by.
2: Congratulations on that success. Mm-hmm couple events that we want to make sure that we tell you about here. The first, as I mentioned earlier, Thursday, June 6th, this is from 6 to 8 p.m., hosting a neighborhood block meeting at Better Family Life's Cultural Center. That is 5415-page, sponsored by Hot 104.1 FM, 95.5 R&B, and Old School for the To RSVP for that. Call 314-381-8200. And then a couple days later, on Saturday, June 8th, this event will start at 10 a.m. This is the March Against Gun Violence. It'll start at the Rock Church at 1118 North Grand, asking people to wear orange to that event. James, you have your orange on today. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about those two events.
5: Well, well we are happy to be partnered with um, Radio 1. Um, June is National Gun Violence Awareness Month and this is our second year partnering with them to bring attention to um, the most important issue facing the St. Louis metropolitan area right now. Uh, It is rocking St. Louis on every level. Um, And we believe that St. Louis has to stand up. Um, Everyone is tired, everyone is fed up. So we're inviting everyone who feels uh, the frustration that we all share show up on June 8th, uh, wear your orange. Uh, and one thing that we've got to understand is that we're, we are tolerating this. We have been too quiet for too long. And we're teaching future generations that gun violence is acceptable. So, so we want to challenge St. Louis to come be a part of the march uh, so that we can begin to galvanize on every level.
2: All right. Very good. We're going to pause there. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a final thought from all of our guests. You're watching The Pulse of St. Louis. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. Before we leave you, we want a final word from each of our panel guests this morning. Pastor Williams, we'll start with you.
8: Okay, I would just like to say that uh, once again, I appreciate everything that, uh, that Better Family Life has been doing. Uh, I have asked James to come out this, this Monday. Um, I am the moderator of the Union Missionary Baptist District Association, and we have 15 churches, and I've asked him to come and talk to them uh, about the events that that are going on with Better Family Life because, like I said, in my heart, I know that this is the right thing to do for the city of St. Louis. I have a friend in town from California. He's a pastor, and I was telling him about it, and he wants to bring it to California. <laughs> But I told him, you don't, uh, uh, you've got to wait because we're, we're, we're the uh, kickoff point. We're, we're the ones that are working this out and it's working beautifully. So again, I say any pastor, please take part in this.
2: All right,
7: Shantae? Um, I would like to ask the community to stand up and stop taking sunglasses off because you don't know when it's your turn. Let's stop zipping our lips and closing our mouths and actually do something about what's going on. Take our communities back. All
6: right. Mr. Dixon? Uh, I'd just like to add, you know, I, I welcome everybody in St. Louis to come on out, you know, Thursday and also Saturday for the walk. Last year we did over 2,000 people. Also wanted to note that from nine to 10, we're gonna, we have a limited number of t-shirts we're gonna be giving out. And so uh, if you could come out and show support, that'd be, that'd be
5: awesome. All right. All right. James. We, we thank St. Louis for the support. Um, we think that St. Louis has to put their neighbor to the table now. And uh, we gotta be more visible and we gotta be more active. And we've gotta stop all the bickering and the debate and the infighting. We cannot fight each other and fight this crisis at the same time. So come on out on um, June 6th to be a part of the uh, neighborhood meeting. It's not about complaining about what's going wrong. It's about let's focus on what's going right and how do we expand it. Then definitely come out on um, June 8th to be a part of the march. Uh, We think that St. Louis has got to stand up. And go Blues.
2: Go Blues. Hopefully they will still be playing. We will. And this airs again. Thank you all for being here. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you watching at home as well. If you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast. You can find that in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. For Shirley Washington, I'm Mike Colombo. We thank you for watching the Pulse of St. Louis.